Our second reading this morning is from Mark Nepo, entitled, Never Knowing Where We Fly. Birds learn how to fly, never knowing where flight will take them. There's a deep and humbling lesson in the way of birds. Their wings grow and stretch and span patches of air. First tentatively and then with confidence, they lift, they pump, they glide, they land. It seems for birds, it is the act of flying that is the goal. True, they migrate and seek out food, but when flying, there is the sense that being aloft is their true destination. Unlike birds, we confuse our time on earth again and again with obsessions of where we are going, often to the point that we frustrate and stall our human ability to fly. <clears throat> we frequently tame and hush our need to love, to learn, to know the truth of spirit until we can be assured that our efforts will take us somewhere. All these conditions and hesitations and yes buts and what ifs turn the human journey upside down, never letting the heart, wing that is, truly unfold. Yet without consideration or reservation, it is simply the presence of light that stirs birds to sing and lift. They do not understand concepts such as holding back or only investing if the return seems certain. In this, we are the only creatures that seek out guarantees, and in doing so, we snuff the spark that is discovery. Just how often do we cripple ourselves by not letting love, with all its risks, teach us how to fly? How many times do our hearts stall because we won't let the wingspan of our passion open us fully into our gifts? How frequently do we search for a song of guidance that can only come from within us? We, like the birds, are meant to fly and sing. That's all. And all our plans and schemes are twigs of nest that once outgrown, we leave. I just have a quick question before I start. Did anyone grow up this way where gratitude, the only gratitude you received was just knowing you did a good job, right? That's the only gratitude you ever received. How many of you out here right now? What was that? Like your gratitude is knowing you did well and no one needed to thank you, right? I grew up that way too. I don't think it was ever named. I don't think it was ever spelled out that way, but it was always in a spirit of, why should I thank you? You should know what you should be doing. That's good enough, right? Gratitude is a practice I'm finding. Duh. <laughs> right? I don't need to buy a book for that, but there it is, right? And so I invite you to join me in the practice of gratitude and in leaning into that, even if you already do it often. And so David Miller and Marie Conger in the back of our sanctuary, beloved, 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 thank you. And for those who have given of themselves, I'll say more of this later at the congregational meeting, but still, 
I feel it's good to lift up everything we have done as a community, which brings me to joy. Is Unitarian Universalism a religion of joy? Maybe we just need to stop the service and go home or log off a of Zoom and just sit with that question. To some of you, it's pretty self-evident, right? Of course we are religion with joy. Your mind goes to memories of beloved friends here and the moments of celebration, unbridled joy, that feeling of radiant human connection. And maybe some of you, well, maybe this isn't a religion or church of joy for you at all. That's a whole other conversation though. But as Unitarian Universalists, right, we say if there is no joy in religion for you, we support your decision to seek it out elsewhere. And then there's a whole bunch of us that have likely never been asked that question. Is Unitarian Universalism a religion of joy? Or we didn't want to ask that question or be asked that question. Now, we can get this out of the way here. There are religious backgrounds and experiences. And I'm looking around the room, and when I glanced at the Zoom screen about 10 minutes ago, I saw you on there as well, that you bring into our community that were not joyous. They were rooted in fear. Fear has its uses. It is a valid, helpful emotion. But when it comes to communities that seek to affirm and give life, you have to wonder, right? Because who we, we are who we are in this community, we bring those stories and backgrounds. We don't reject them. We don't leave them behind. We bring all of who we are, varying levels of healing and acceptance into this space. And then there's the rest of life too, as if that wasn't enough. Now, let's be honest here. There, there's been a lot of times over this pandemic where we just don't want to be joyful. Not one bit. If I have to hear one more person tell me about joy. No, turn it off the screen. I've, I've done it. <laughs> there have been many days and some that have actually happened where I want to bundle up in my Harry Potter bathrobe, sit under the covers, Rewatch Battlestar Galactica for the 20th time and eat another pint of Crank and Boom ice cream. Imagine my surprise when my doctor checked my cholesterol this past summer. <laughs> I've cut back. I'm not 20 anymore. <laughs> oh, there have been days like this. So many days we're seeking comfort or simply seeking space to sulk are desirable. And today, as we dig into this question of joy, this isn't a means to ignore the oppressions of life or to shame us for sulking or needing comfort. We're here instead to ask the question and come up with an answer. In minister speak, what is our theology of joy? Do we even have one? We've been asking a lot of those questions lately. If you've Take a notice, that's okay if you haven't. What's our theology of imperfection? Something I feel all Americans need to ask. Theology, philosophy, do what you will. Do you have an answer to that yet? 
on the anniversary of the Reformation, what are our 95 theses for a personal reformation, a community reformation? But just remember, we only need to start with one. One is enough. Do you have a theology of being enough? Can you say that you are enough? Can I say I'm enough? That we are enough? That this place is enough? Because it is enough. This place, you, me. Where is our spiritual quest as a community calling us? And then last week, what is our theology of grief? Gosh, we're talking about grief again. Ubiquitous grief, this languishing of the world and the tension of both grieving and moving on. All good questions. Things we should be asking. And so is this question of joy. I have to admit, while I love joy, I love being self-deprecating. I love humor. I often avoid sermons about joy. My personal humor is deeply sardonic and sarcastic. Two types of humor that sometimes just don't translate for people. But I have to realize this isn't a comedy show. I wonder if my hesitation around joy has everything to do with me. Yeah. With how I was trained as a minister, with my background as a child and a young adult, with Unitarian Universalist culture, with American culture with an ethic I carry around with me that is perpetually saying in the back of my head, this too I shall endure, carry on. It is ingrained in every fiber of my being. I think that's the real issue here, all of the above. You probably have some of your own. Some time ago, it was during a worship associates meeting, maybe, oh, three, four, oh goodness, five years ago. And there were some new UU magazines on the coffee table in my office. They were the brand new Seekers editions of the UU World Magazine, specifically written and designed for those wanting to learn more about who we are as a church and a community. They were great, right? I loved it. I ordered bundles of them. They had essays and poems and art that sought to give people a glimpse into who we are as Unitarian Universalists. I loved it. I love good PR. I wanted to hand them out to everyone. Got some extra copies. I put them in the welcome station in the foyer. I gave them to staff members. I gave them to other people. But there was one little problem. The title of the issue was, is, the journey is the joy. Now, what's wrong with that, you might ask? Nothing, nothing, really. No, nothing's wrong. Except one of our worship associates, and I wonder if he remembers this, picked up the issue and said, look, just look, the journey is the joy. We all looked in the meeting. What was wrong, we wondered. He repeated, just look at this. And it became became clear. On the front cover was an image of two women sitting in a boat in the midst of a vast ocean. And emblazoned above their heads was the title, The Journey is the Joy. But their expressions were anything but joyous. These women looked like they were about to starve to death on this boat. They were lost at sea contemplating drinking seawater just to get it over with. 
The journey is the joy, but not for these women adrift, <laughs> floating to their doom. If you want to see it up close and personal, I'll put it in the foyer after the service. It cracks me up every time I think about it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Who picked that dreadful image? Couldn't there have been anything that was joyous? What did this say about Unitarian Universalism and our theology of joy? I'm sure I could dust off a favorite blame game of mine and bring up the Puritans, right? Our religious ancestors. I'm sure that has a little something to do with it. But I think it goes deeper than just a hellfire and brimstone past for the origins of the United States. I think it has something to do with the emphasis on rational religion from the 40s and 50s, but not entirely, just a little bit. Maybe it has to do with postmodernist framings of religious experience more than any of those. Postmodernism gone wrong has us apologizing for our own joy because we have to constantly list the possibilities of every experience instead of seizing the moment so we thrive on what is joyous for us. Here's an example. How many times have you heard a Unitarian Universalist minister lift off almost, list off almost every deity and non-deity known to humankind before making a point about the divine? I'm guilty of this. Where did I learn this fear of saying, here is how I experience the, this feeling of the divine, the religious, the exuberant connection to everything. Here is my joy. Come, friends, discover your joy. When did Unitarian Universalism choose a boat adrift at sea with no shore in sight? Some of you have rightly picked up on this feeling in the past. A lot of our past general assemblies before the pandemic were heavy experiences. But there was either an avoidance of joy or a very carefully curated, manicured and cautious joy. You know what we should just say to that? No, never. A holy no, a holy never. If joy is not amongst our lot, what good is religion? Now, I do believe the tide is shifting, right? It has to, especially with a pandemic forcing us to look not just at our cultures, our institutions, but ourselves. Locked down feels like forever ago. There was nothing else to look at. And let me tell you something about my pandemic introspections. I learned so very intimately about my perfectionism, my seriousness, my need to please other people, make them happy, and have my own happiness dependent on theirs. I saw it and I felt it right in that muck, because it is muck. That's putting it very kindly. Today, I think more and more I choose imperfection, not taking myself too seriously more and more, realizing my own worth and happiness is not dependent on people who may never be happy. I choose joy more and more. It's not a cure-all. It's not a magic pill or even something I can fake, but it is a choice, a hard but rewarding choice. 
I feel like there are so many things in life that want us to choose despair and anger. I get it. Anger is delectable. It is so much easier to name a problem and wallow in it, to invite others into that singularity of gloom. So much easier to do that instead of being a sojourner for joy, for peace, for being enough, for relishing our limited lives. I've wallowed. (laughs) I was wallowing last night. I won't tell you about what. Anger can feel oddly really good. It becomes addicting. I come from a background that was incredibly angry. That was our default. Why are you angry? I'm not angry. I'm happy, right? (laughs) Well, how I'd love to kvetch with some of you about something inconsequential right now. It'd be so much fun, right? It can be so much fun. But I've also been invited during this time to have an up-close and personal view to some of your own lockdown introspection. And whether my own or yours or someone else's, it is so clear that we have a choice, a hard choice, but a rewarding choice. Now you might think joy is the ecstatic only or just laughter or happiness. There's a great interview on TV this morning with Fran Lebowitz. And she said, if you haven't chosen to be happy now, you're never going to. Oh, okay, preach. Or you might think joy is just glossing over the difficult parts of our life or some sort of saccharine nonsense, ponies and rainbows. Yes, it can be that too. But joy is so much bigger than any of those things. It is a choice and a practice. And I need only look to communities worldwide amidst great difficulty and oppression and hardship that have used joy as an act of resistance, an act of unity, a way to affirm and honor humanity amidst grief and loss and righteous indignation. Why and how? Because oppressed peoples throughout time and history have chosen joy. They've chosen resilience and they've practiced it. Audre Lorde, the self-described black lesbian mother warrior poet, I love that, once wrote, in order to perpetuate itself, every oppression must corrupt or distort those various sources of power within the culture of the oppressed that can provide energy for change. Let those words sink in just a moment. Religion is called to be countercultural. Has your joy been distorted Have you rallied behind the either-or divisions of our time, the vitriol? Have you chosen to be critical of everything instead of being a doer and shaper of possibility? I know I have. And it hurts when I realize that. Joy is a source of power that provides energy for change. And we need it. Oh my God, we need it. There's a great story about Hanukkah from Elie Wiesel. He wrote this during his time... Uh, uh, reflecting on his time in Auschwitz during World War II when the season of Hanukkah was approaching in the camp. There was a fellow prisoner who was trading food rations and food rations were so hard to come by if you were a prisoner in Auschwitz. And he was trading his limited food 
for bits and bobs, twine and little tiny pieces of metal, little bits of this and that, garbage, whatever it was, trading his rations for these little things to make a menorah for Hanukkah. Elie Wiesel saw this as an odd thing to do and he asked the man, Hanukkah in Auschwitz? The man replied quite simply, especially in Auschwitz. You need not look far for joy amidst the rest of life. From communities resisting apartheid in South Africa with songs in the night, to the ring shouts of the Gullah people along our southeastern coast. From Chinese communities secretly listening to classical music during the height of the Cultural Revolution, a crime that would have them disappear in a prison, perhaps for life, to the singing revolutions of the Baltics. Have you heard of these things? Find them if you haven't. Find them again if you have. Drink them up. Sit in wonder at the resilience of human beings, how our species chooses joy again and again, no matter what. A joy that instills hope, a joy that endures all manner of bleakness, a joy that unites and inspires. We need joy more than ever. We are living in a point of tension here. Can you feel it? <laughs> I don't want to feel it anymore. <laughs> here we are wrestling with our values as Unitarian Universalists and seeing the world around us have a million and one different responses to this continued pandemic, this endemic virus. And we need to name it. Just name it, name it. Name the anger, name the tension. Don't bottle it up. I say that as someone who likes to bottle it all up. Name the confusion. Name it with curiosity and wonder and compassion for yourself and others. Name it, just go right ahead and name it. If you are someone who's been conflict averse. Again, I've been there, <laughs> I'm still there. This pandemic is not a conflict, it's just here. No one chose this. It is in recognizing that we are all struggling with this that we realize we are not alone. I am struggling this, I've been struggling with this for months and in that struggle, I once respect and honor the hard work and intentionality of our values but I also feel the pull to a world that might have forgotten already. Even as Michigan has reached a peak of ICU COVID deaths. What that does to the mind is so jarring. But in naming it with you, I know I'm not alone. From there, I find there's freedom in naming it. Freedom, oddly enough, for that joy once more. It doesn't solve the problems, but it does create resilience. And so how do we choose joy? You could buy a million books on this. None of them will do the work for you, but they'll illustrate the way. It's really this simple. And more often these days, I turn to the Buddhists. There's something to be said about how Buddhism often answers difficult questions with just this. The great way is not difficult, period. Why are we making it difficult? but it requires practice. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and asked yourself, what brings me joy? When's the last time you asked yourself that when you just had a really awful day? Have you thought about that? You just wanted to throw your hands up in the air. Maybe try it sometime. 
what brings me joy, even if the day sucked. Or you found a lingering suffering in your life. You can go ahead and ask yourself right now. What is in front of you right now? Either literally or in your mind that brings you joy. What in this church community brings you joy? My goodness, I hope you have an answer for that one. At least if you're attending here, right? There is so much to celebrate in this community and you are invited to be a part of that. But we can go deeper. You can just take a few breaths. You can close your eyes if you like. You can go ahead and just try it right now. Just take some breaths. Repeat these words in your mind. May I rejoice in my own joy. May my joy continue. Repeat them a couple times. May I rejoice in my own joy. May my joy continue. And we move on and keep breathing. May I rejoice in your joy. May your joy continue. Repeat those a couple times again in your mind. Think of people you love, admire. May I rejoice in your joy. May your joy continue. Think of someone you don't love. Ooh. I'm having a hard time with that one. May I rejoice in your joy. Hmm. May your joy continue. And may it be life-giving. And we extend it further. May I rejoice in all joy. May all joy continue. Repeating the words again, and we keep breathing. Keep breathing. The great way is not difficult. And we return to this moment. I give thanks to Thich Nhat Hanh's community for those simple practices. They often seem so simple on paper. It's like, ah, that's not going to do anything. Try it. Just try it again. The words aren't always the same. It can be what you need them to be. Sometimes it's art. Sometimes it's dance. It's music. It's meditating. It's smiling. It's cooking. It's baking. All these things for our communities, our loved ones, ourselves, from people far and wide who've endured moments in history that are unimaginable. To this moment, right here in Lexington, Kentucky, joy even when we're told is not an, it's not an option, but it is. It's always a choice. It's always a practice. The journey is the joy. <laughs> I hope they made it. <laughs> but we are not on a sinking boat or one drifting into oblivion. Ours is no caravan of despair. We draw the breath of life this day and see our beloved community here in this space, online, elsewhere, knowing we are not alone. May we share in each other's joy. May we be a people of joy. May it be so. Amen.